This is Healing Justice, a podcast at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Warning, and welcome to part one of our reflection episode on season one of the podcast. This has been a long season one, y'all. We started in November of 2017, and right now it is August of 2018. You can tell that uh, this is a project run by organizers, not by media folks, because uh, we didn't really have a concept of planning a season. We had a concept of uh, go hard. And so that's what we've done. We've had a really long season and um, it is time to take a break. It is time to reflect. It is time to go deep and rebuild a 2.0 version of the structures that we need to support this project now that it has transitioned from experiment to uh, community, uh, community that we want to sustain. And so Welcome to part one of a three-part season reflection where we want to invite you into looking back at some of the amazing things that we've shared uh, over the past 10 months, I guess. Holy cow. Um, And also, I think it'll be kind of cool to remember some of those highlights and might uh, bring to mind for you some of the episodes that you want to go back and listen to. We're going to talk about practice and how we have this big practice library now. And we're also going to talk about accountability, transparency, and the journey of this project. And my friend Jacoby Ballard is going to join us to talk about that today. Um, So let's dive in. This is sort of a weird timing to be doing a reflection episode. If you listen regularly or are listening right as this comes out, you may have noticed that it's been a month since we released the last thing. We were getting all ready to wrap things up and life happened. Uh, I was traveling and supporting family through some major transitions that are happening in my family. And also it it just didn't feel like the right time yet to record this reflection. I think part of it is that sometimes it can feel really daunting to uh, sort of definitively reflect. I think reflection is inherently not a definitive final process. It's always an iteration. And so there was a piece of this that felt intimidating of like, oh, when will we have reflected enough to really have something to say? And there's also just been this piece of like schedule. Like I said, I was traveling and um, another really interesting thing that has happened is that uh, a week before I came home from being on the road for a month in the Midwest doing family stuff and also uh, hanging out at Allied Media Conference and at Common Bound um, doing workshops related to this work, I got a phone call asking if I would come and work on an electoral campaign. Uh, So I'm working on the Cynthia Nixon campaign here in New York and came back literally the day after returning from traveling for a month. I joined that campaign team running their organizing hub strategy and I have never worked directly for a candidate before. It's a super interesting experience and I also think it's a really unique time where um, I don't know that I would have thought that I would have been willing to work for a candidate, but there's this sweep that's happening. There's this progressive sweep that's happening uh, where people of color and women and LGBTQ folks 
are taking power in this country. And it feels like a really critical moment of taking responsibility for what is happening here in the U.S. on every level, uh, that we say yes to the invitations that we receive that we can say yes to. And so here I am running around uh, in, in chaos on uh, an election team, and that's also really part of the reason why it hasn't felt quite time or quite spacious enough to really breathe and look back and have something to share with you. Um, so thank you for your patience. And something that I love about this project is that we can make the rules for ourselves. So if the last episode of the season comes after a month of silence, here we are. <laughs> Those are the rules of this podcast. Um, so thank you for being here. Um, and also, I can't wait to share more with you about what I learned about trying to integrate work of healing and rooting down uh, and long-term perspective into a short burst of a campaign that is an electoral experience. So before we dive in, one of the things that felt essential here is to invite some of my friends to join me. So when I was feeling a little like, oh, how can I possibly reflect on, on everything that has happened this season? One of the things that I've learned from this podcast and before, and particularly from the crew at Relational Uprising, is to ask for support, that we don't have to do these things alone. And so I was able to record some conversations with friends who have been featured on the podcast before and have been connected to this journey in some way. And so the first person that I called up is Jacoby Ballard. And I feel like I can always count on Jacoby for a conversation that is both appreciative and accountable at the same time. And so as we look back on season one, here is the phone call that I had with Jacoby. Hi, this is Jacoby Ballard on episode 24. Calling in to talk to you, Kate. Hey, I'm so glad you're back, Jacoby. Um, and I am so honored and excited that you have been doing this work for such a long time, um, and also have been so present with us, uh, along the way in the journey of this podcast, you know, talking with me, sharing your wisdom, um, on episode 24 and, and your practice of a forgiveness meditation Mm. and also listening a lot. And like letting me know that you were listening, that kind of accompaniment was so awesome. Um, and just makes me want to ask you, what did you learn from this season of the podcast? What is the role that it's been playing for you? <sighs> I mean, so many of your interviewees talked about um, belonging and the power of witness and um, being held and how all of that counters like isolation and shame and guilt Mm. that for various ones of us were (laughs) shoved down our throats. Mm. Um, And so for me hearing so many voices, some of them, you know, beloved colleagues and people that I've admired for a long time, people that I would love to work with, but haven't gotten to yet. And then also people that I, have never met and never heard of was really exciting. Like, wow, this work is getting so big. Whereas Mm. like 10 years ago, I feel like I knew everyone doing this work Mm. and I'm like 
so gratified and hopeful that like that's no longer the case because there's too many of us. Mm. That's really exciting. I mean, I feel like that kind of growth is something that we keep hearing about and also that I really see myself as part of as more of a baby in this work. Like, you know, I have like a decade of organizing experience and maybe five, six years kind of coming in through the door of the yoga community into what politicized healing looks like, but have also really had to manage like, wow, how do we have these conversations in a way that is super welcoming? And also how do I hold really responsibly and humbly like the fact that I'm such a newcomer compared to people who have been doing this work for such a long time. Um, And so many feelings come up around that. I mean, so much excitement about the conversation growing, but also a lot of concern about it growing. Like, is there any, is there any part of you as you're listening to new people? Like, is there any part that sort of feels like, Hey, like this is our thing or like, where were you when, right? All those things that come up. (laughs) No, I don't feel that way. And I, I, feel like it's, it's been a, you know, a challenge of Alicia Garza at AMC last year to be like, this isn't serving us to say, where have you been? Mm. Like, if we want to build a mass movement, uh, we need to like, be like, yes, you're here. Thank God. Let's go. Mm. Uh, how can you help? What are you doing? Mm. Um, and I feel like that with, with everyone I heard. I mean, of course, for all of us, probably we can listen to each other and hear like holes or um, gaps of awareness. And that's just how things are going to be. And that's also why we need to be in relationship with each other, especially, I mean, in, in across difference and also mirroring one another, right? It's so important for me to like listen to Teo Drake. We share a lot of identities. And it's also really important for me to like listen to indigenous healers. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in that listening, has there been any particular guests or concepts or practices this season that have like really stuck with you that you'd say, oh, that's that's something I'm returning to often? I think, you know, a lot of the gatherings that I've been to in the last couple of years, like the, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship and the Black Yoga Teachers Association Conference. Um, music is so, and singing together is such a big part. So um, the episodes on the role of song and the role of music in our movements were, it was just, it, it, it wasn't something I didn't already know, but it was like a good reminder. And also, you know, so often I feel like, especially here in Western Massachusetts, I'll like show up at a rally or a march and, um, there isn't music and it feels just like flat and like kind of boring. And we went like, we'll do the like same old chance, but I was really excited that there's like new movement music coming out. And that it's also important, important to sing the music from the civil rights era and from the labor movements and, you know, to keep those songs going too, because those struggles aren't over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the music ones too. And that, that has been a real learning curve because I mean, like a year ago, I was Googling how to do podcasts <laughs> um, and then to produce the, the music episodes was like the most complex production we had to do. We faded in, we faded out, we put the songs, we had recordings mm-hmm. from the streets. And, uh, and those are like, I returned to listening to those too, even though I heard them a million times when we were editing because um, hearing those songs is so immediately uplifting. Yeah. Um, 
and it has been really fun to to sort of listen along in that respect. And I and that also makes me want to do just like an enormous shout out to our uh, our volunteers in the production team because we had um you know about 10 different people do content editing as volunteers of you know for the audio this year and uh and Zach at the Coal Room uh who mastered and fixed all of our sound problems across everything every single week like for eight straight months every week without fail uh did that for us and so it just makes me super grateful for all the levels of labor and love that go into a thing like sharing movement music totally um I was thinking about how music draws people in to the movement, right? Because it, like, it sounds good. It sounds compelling. And I was thinking about that and everything I've learned from Suzanne Sterling about the science of sound mm-hmm. and how, how when we sing together, our nervous systems co-regulate. Mm. And so it's just like such a, you know, in the way that like Facebook or Google are smart and like toying with our nervous systems, we also have these like ancient practices you know that that put us in community together in a way that's just like unavoidable Mm. yeah that's really cool um so one of the biggest learnings for me this year has been for myself and also accompanying literally the like 70 some people that have come on the show that seems impossible by the way (laughs) Um, but because folks came in in groups at different times and, you know, featured one another in their organizations, like there's literally 70 people who have, who have shared their voice on the show this season. And, um, when I think about all those folks, something that just was not on my radar in any way before we started is what, what aspect of this project was actually both a kind of, um, spiritual accompaniment and skill building around voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly because I started out this project and still feel this way, like everyone who has come on, I feel like are my greatest teachers and I'm sitting at their feet and trying to be as responsible and generous with that opportunity as possible by recording it and giving it away. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> why should I get to sit at the feet? And <laughs> right? Um, and so I just sort of assumed that everyone I would be talking to is good to go. Totally skilled up, totally masterful, totally confident. Just really some of the most incredible grounded vocal leaders in this field. And it was my experience maybe at least half the time that there was significant conversation and accompaniment around what it meant for people to share their voices that uh that I just didn't expect like on the front end during after all these different conversations that happened and I think for different people it was about different things and multiple things um but I hope you're okay with us being vulnerable about the fact that you're in that 50 (laughs) percent and and can I just ask what was your experience around sharing your voice when when you came on the show I mean, yeah, in the days afterwards, after you left this area, I was just thinking about all the things I didn't say or people I didn't name or, um, yeah, just, you know, how incomplete the interview felt. Mm. And when I, I'm, a, I'm a writer, right, and, and edit and revise and send in something that you feel pretty good about, but when I'm 
speaking live and that's being recorded um there's there's like a different kind of accountability that i felt um and responsibility too right especially like as Mm -hmm. a a white person coming on the cast uh, on the show to talk about healing Mm -hmm. Uh, that means something different and demands something different from white folks than than it does for for folks of color um you know both really meaning and profound meaningful and profound processes Um, and I think also as I was facing the movement trauma, I think of, of being ripped apart, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know some of that, a lot of that, like in person, in meetings, at events, um, probably in my twenties, and then and then also it continues online, and I feel like a lot of folks, especially a lot of the folks that were interviewed on the podcast, have really big boundaries around social media Mm -hmm. and how they participate or what they won't say. And um, I also um, really appreciated in an emergent strategy, Adrian talking about, you know, what is the, what is the purpose of of calling out and and what is the potential harm that it could lead to? Mm -hmm. And and, um, do we, are, are we interested in ending harm or reducing harm or like, are we going to like continue feeding into what could be the, the, the drama, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's like a worthwhile, you know, if good points are being made and just like the tone um, of call out culture. And I also experienced that working on, on college campuses where a lot of, a lot of folks are just coming to um, political awareness and they're pissed, you know, and like totally, relate to that there's a million things to be pissed about Mm. and um how often then we we use those tools on each other and and on our teachers and our mentors and just um think we're not we're giving given a really sharp analysis which is really powerful and maybe not given like the like safety precautions (laughs) around those tools that like a woodworker would be given Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a cool framing because I'm hearing in what you're saying, there's a really healthy, really sacred kind of responsibility piece and particularly in, in managing identity and thinking about impact and uh, really being humble and, and putting a lot of care into the fact that our words really do, really do have impact. <laughs> that's real. And so there's a piece of it that's like really responsible and really important. And then there's also this other piece of are other people going to observe the safety protocols? And we've seen time and time again that they don't. And, me, and we've been the, that person too, you know? And so, you know, are people going to keep me safe? Are people going to uh, take my vulnerability in downloaded permanent form? And are they going to protect it um, and engage with me, even if that engaging means... Uh, a challenge of some kind, right? Uh, or are they going to like use it as a weapon? Right. Um, and I think about like, like particularly, you know, I've talked a lot this season <laughs> and like, I, I really don't, I plan a little bit, but I don't plan that much because I feel like one of the, one of the commitments that I can make to the movement is like, to be very vulnerable and to be in process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as 
totally mistake ridden as my natural state may be. I think that I feel sort of a responsibility to keep showing up vulnerably and publicly in process because uh, my hope is that that creates space for other people to do the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like performativity is not a real gift to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm kind of surprised that there has not yet been a great think piece of all the stupid things I've said. I'm sure I've said stuff that's like legit problematic. I'm sure I've also said stuff that could be really easily taken out of context and seem Mm -hmm. hella problematic. Um, Mm -hmm. And because this is audio recording, I feel like I could probably even go back and listen to this season and make the YouTube mashup video of like, assholes on healing justice podcast, you know, just like, <laughs> like we could probably make that video of ourselves, right. Of knowing all the times where we go, Oh, like that isn't quite what I meant or taken out of context. I could see how this could mean this. Yeah. And yet in the face of that, what is the choice that we're going to make? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And that's where I ultimately landed after talking with you in a, in a, the Hampshire college parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> on the phone <laughs> which was of course that's where I had the conversation this Hampshire is known for being super critical mm. um, and also a hotbed for activists you know so many people that I know when have worked with graduated from there mm. um, but what I came to after that conversation with you is to trust in the vulnerability and have faith in that and that um, my years of experience and my years of practice have mm. have enabled like a kind of sharing and a kind of kind of voice that actually I want I want to exhibit mm-hmm. and practice in, mm-hmm. in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I th- I feel like our, our movement needs more vulnerability, and so how could I, how dare I ask that of someone else if I'm not willing to be that? Yeah. Especially in the places like, you know, when you're interviewed on a podcast like this, where you're like kind of put out as a leader. Right. And so if our leaders aren't exhibiting vulnerability, then how, how will everyone else mm-hmm. and how will the next generation of, lear- of leaders learn that? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I learned from like leading my yoga teacher training where I have like it's half queer students and part of why they signed up is because they have a queer teacher mm-hmm. in me. And and then part of like what resonates at the end that I hear is like seeing a different kind of masculinity or a different kind of leadership or like there be a softness and a humility um, as well as a confidence and a knowing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really impressed by the level of risk and trust that you and everyone who came on this season was also willing to engage in too. And particularly because it's kind of a new project, like it's a new project. You know, I knew you a little bit before, but there are some people who came on this season who like uh, were really kind of meeting me for the first time through the process of talking about whether they wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a white woman doing social justice stuff. Like there's a lot of levels of risk Mm -hmm. that folks assumed that I, and I think in really generous ways um, that we know, like I actually have the data of so many people 
commenting and sharing on social media, so many people writing in with detailed personal stories about how the vulnerability of these conversations has impacted them. Um, And including your conversation, Jacoby, and including the the timeliness of the forgiveness meditation that you offered. Um, And so I feel like we we have this data on like, wow, like the impact of some of those risks has been really positive. Yeah. And I want to also take this moment to acknowledge uh, the dynamics of voice that uh, are also still really lacking and are really growing edges in this project. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, since pre-day one, um, the impact of you know my identity as a white cis woman, uh, middle class host. Um, trying my best to be accountable and informed in all the ways I can, but ultimately coming from the total lens that I come from and wanting to hold and share these conversations, but knowing there must be millions of tiny ways Mm -hmm. that my lens is informing and shaping uh, what's getting shared. Right. And so one of the ways we tried to stay accountable for that is that we actually edited very, very little. Um, we didn't like take out things that people said, uh-huh. uh, because that's such a judgment call. Yeah. Um, and I think another piece is that like, we've been in constant conversation as sort of a core team of advisors and folks who believe in this project around how to move towards a co-hosting model, which I've actually like deeply wanted since day one. And for folks who've been listening for a while, Shauna and Teresa, have been on with me since the beginning. Um, And there was a dream that that would be able to be more of kind of a vibrant shared responsibility. And just because of trying to be authentic in those relationships and show up to people's capacity, it just hasn't been possible. Um, And so one of the things we're doing as we go underground this summer is to really work toward like now that the podcast is growing, the accountability for the impact of whose voices are shared is increased. And Mm. so. how are we going to share hosting more, rotate the voice more so that that lens, uh, like vulnerability isn't enough actually, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's actually like real impact considerations. And another piece with that, that I want to share is just also, I just want to actually take a moment of like grief Mm -hmm. and asking for forgiveness around the voices that are still missing. There's a lot that's still missing. I've had someone write in an incredibly heartfelt, so truthful letter about the fact that we have not had any significant representation of Native folks or Indigenous folks from North America. And how can we talk about healing justice 30 times without hearing from the people who have been surviving on this land despite colonization for for hundreds of years? Um what a, what a, what a miss. Um, I've also had, you know, folks write in and talk to me personally about not hearing from Palestinian voices and the pain of recognizing how much healing and survival work Palestinian folks have had to do. I feel like there's just this list we could build. I don't know if there's anything that stands out to you of like, oh, we're still missing these things. Is there anything that stood out to you in that vein? Um, disabled people. Mm. Yep. I know Dory talked about um, ableism and, and disability justice and um, 
and yeah, I'm partnering with a disabled person and, and just aware of, uh, yeah, I I mean, I think it would be really interesting to have someone like Eli Clare on the podcast who wrote a book about cure, right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, pursuit of cure and how, how that's a white notion and how that's an ableist notion and, um, you know, refutes the realities of our, of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like what I've learned from being uh, included in disability community for the last 10 years through my partnership is um, just the incredible creative uh, ways that people live and uh, relate to each other and celebrate and have joy and play. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one of my friends Liz is is a chair user in the UK and she like adventures more than anyone I know. <laughs> um, and, and then also just like the incredible care that um, when they gather, uh, like creating collective access mm. um, that's so beautiful and so profound. Um, the, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship is also approaching. Um, and I think different movement groups are like Black Lives Matter. I know has gotten some critique from Black disabled folks of being like we're not included in this movement. And I know that's not mine to like comment on or do anything about. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, disabled folks, you know, so often can't can't get out of bed, can't can't leave the house, and so then are like excluded from our from our movements. And when they do go to like doctor's offices like they're seen as like something wrong something to fix something Mm -hmm. to do rather than just like evaluating of their being and then that's carried over into any kind of practitioner that they see you know the same with fat folks too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I remember if Jelani talked much about that yeah I was just thinking as you were talking like I really appreciated some of the knowledge that Jelani brought in episode seven with third root um, I really appreciated the ways that Dory touched on disability justice um, yeah. and a little bit Teo Drake as well, right. episode 31. But I, I really agree that like because of how foundational disability justice is within the framework of healing justice, yeah. it's also something that I'm so hungry to uh, really share more about and learn more about myself along the way. Yeah. Um, so there's this piece that's really bizarre around like, so much excitement and like, wow, we've done 33 episodes. That's so many conversations and so much has been covered. And for me, there's also this piece of like being so aware of the gap between where we are and where we need to be, want to be, are going, et cetera. And like, what does it look like to both own the real impact now of saying like, it means something to indigenous folks in North America that have been listening and have not heard themselves reflected right. like that. It, it means something harmful Yeah. regardless right. of whether there's intention to do it in the future, you know, yeah. and we're also on this journey of time and like, yeah. how does a new project not be everything immediately? Right. Like, and you can't, you can't. I mean, I think it's like our, all of our movements are imperfect, right? And in process. And this podcast is is part of that too. And there's always going to be gaps. And I think for so long in my activism, I I longed for 
a world, um, I think of a t-shirt that Jelani had that has this like, no racism, no transphobia, no fat phobia, you know, like no, none of the things is in this space. Hmm. Um, but that's just, I, I've learned along the way and especially profoundly through Third Root that that's impossible because we're steeped in these systems of oppression and so we bring them into any space that we're in. Um, and so then for me, like, I think what I try to learn when I'm like in the role of teacher is when people call, call me out or call me up, like how do I interact in that moment in a way that can be healing? Um, right. Like I'm sure you like, you know, wrote a heartfelt letter back to the, mm-hmm. the indigenous folks that, that wrote and that kind of being held and being witnessed is going against the grain of, of what's happening, happening currently and what's happened historically. Mm. Um, and I think that that's, that is, that also has impact. Mm. Like the gaps and the harms are going to go down. We're going to make mistakes. And then what happens when, how, how do we show up in those moments? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lex Horan, who's, um, who's a activist turned physical trainer that's in Minneapolis. Um, Talks to, talked about years ago about being conflict ready, like ready for that mm. moment of mistake mm-hmm. and with, with tenderness and with courage. It's like, here it is. Here's, you know, here's the impact of 500 years of colonization showing up on this, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now what? Yeah. Here it is again. Like, <laughs> of course, of course, here it is again. Like, yeah. And how can we be responsible to that? And also not, I mean, how could we be surprised? Right. <laughs> um, but I am so grateful. Like uh, I am so grateful for like the willingness to be incomplete that I think, you know, particularly when we had conversations after your recording, we were thinking about, oh, we didn't even talk about solidarity at all. Like we screwed <laughs> it up. Like we left out this enormous concept. If we're talking, you know, if we're covering allyship, like, um, you know, that's been one conversation of many that I've had with folks where it's like, wow, that hour goes by and how much we're still missing and sort of the, the willingness to be incomplete together um, feels really critical in terms of allowing ourselves permission to actually be using our voices. Like if we have to wait until we're complete, right. then I, I just think about how much noise is in our world right now offering people frameworks, ideologies, belief systems, orientations, um, political claims. Like Mm -hmm. there is such a volume of reckless, hateful, destructive noise that if, if we can't build a resilience, particularly among people who are holding healing in movements to bring some, uh, wisdom and depth to the approach to change, like Mm -hmm. if we are handling that with so much care and so much preciousness, that it makes us slow to speak. Like, yes, being slow to speak sometimes is the right thing, but also there's a real cost to that in Mm -hmm. terms of the global dialogue that is available to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one thing I feel really committed to in this project is incomplete voice over no voice. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think capitalism really problematizes that, right? Like you're incomplete. So buy this thing <laughs> mm. or take, pay for this program or, you know, X, Y, Z. And um, 
rather than just being with the reality that each of us are incomplete Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that there are gaps and, and lacks for any one of us at any moment. And that's part of being human. Mm -hmm. And it's not something to fix and not some, not something that you could ever buy your way out of. Yeah. Yeah. Or perform your way out of be good enough. Yeah. Um, I do really want to thank the listeners of this community too, for actually for holding me and the people who have come on with so much generosity and grace too. Um, because that's really a choice that, uh, that thousands and thousands of people have made. And the folks who have written in with saying, I don't feel represented here or there have done so with such deep love and deep conviction and deep truth telling in a way that really models the way we can call each other up. Yeah. Um, that's been really impactful and has been a gift in itself. And also like I've really managed this thing when people have come on and been uh, worried about critique, like for example, the, the Jews who are working to end support for the occupation in their community, like experience a lot of critique in the left and, um, and shrouded anti-Semitism too, which was not the case of the person who wrote in, but it happens all over the place. And, um, and it was such a tender place for me to be, to sort of be able to say to them, like, I have your back. I believe in what you're doing and, uh, and I can't protect you. Like if you come on the show and you're super vulnerable, like I'm going to do everything I can to have your back. And I, I can't, I'm just actually powerless to protect you if people do come after you. And that has been such a vulnerable thing for me to feel like such a mama bear about the people who take the risk of sharing here. Yeah. And also to know at the end of the day, we are all at the mercy of our broader community and we can't protect each other enough. And the broader world and all the forces of this world, right? Like we can't always protect each other from deportation. We can't always protect each other from incarceration or police surveillance. Yeah. So there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of vulnerability and there's been a lot of like grace and generosity and appreciation and love from this listener community, which makes me feel like we're gathering the right people and that there's a lot more of us than it feels like on the day to day. That's why I want a group call. (laughs) (laughs) We are thinking together about like, it's taking me a lot of time, but we are thinking together about what that will look like to gather people. Right. Cause the hunger is so there. Yeah. Um, one step at a time. It's like that really, it's that gap again. It's like, oh my gosh, we need, we want to do all the things. We're so ready and excited and also like time. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming back on Jacoby. Love talking with you. <laughs> Thanks Kate. Me too. Hey everybody. So you just heard us talk a lot about listening, a lot about potential ideas for the future and how much we want to build together, and also how long things take. And I want to take a moment to share with you a story about ownership. Um, I feel like this is something we think about a lot if you're sort of trained in like an organizer space, uh, or even an education space, or a healer space, like thinking about what does it take to cultivate this thing that many of us are hungry for, which is... um, being able to create spaces where folks can bring their full potential 
um, and really contribute in an empowered and self-directed way. And so I have this really uh, distinct experience for myself of when I feel like for the first time I really felt what it was to be asked to do what I'm capable of. Um, and it came after being part of the immigrant youth movement for four or five years, working with the Dreamer movement, winning DACA, uh, working with young people, mostly high school age, um, all over the state of Wisconsin, mostly in Milwaukee and Racine. And we were part of all the national campaigns to try to win the DREAM Act, um, to win DACA successfully, um, to win DAPA, which was later repealed, unfortunately, um, and had gotten really good at sort of like uh, campaigning, right? Um, and ran incredible campaigns. I mean, DACA is the biggest uh, pro-immigrant legislative victory since before I was born. Um, so incredible stuff. And there came a point in the struggle for immigration reform where I was working all the time. I uh, was exhausted um, and the students I was working with were exhausted but determined. And we were in the legislative battle for to pass a, a, a comprehensive immigration reform bill that was like thousands of pages long. Um, and I was getting all these text alerts. I'm sure y'all know what I'm talking about, where you get the text alert to like sign the petition or make a call to your legislator or so, show up to the rally or don't forget to vote. Um, and I was getting these text alerts on a regular basis that were like, hey, call John Boehner today because you are our only hope of getting immigration reform passed. And if you call John Boehner and leave a message, uh, this will successfully happen. And I remember just like looking at that text and like almost feeling nauseous because I didn't feel like it was true. <laughs> um, and it wasn't true. And I think that there's this piece when we're organizing toward a goal, like there's this whole concept of ladders of engagement, right? And like, uh, this also applies to relationships and dating and, and a lot of things about life. Like you don't go out with someone on the first date and say, uh, will you marry me? Or do you want to have a kid together? <laughs> um, you have to go incrementally, right? And so, so we use that principle in our movements. We ask people, will you sign a petition? We ask them, will you, um, you know, show up to one meeting? And then when they come to that thing, we ask them to do a bigger thing. Will you lead the next meeting? Will you bring 10 people? Whatever. And I think pragmatically, that makes sense. I mean, if we told everybody in our movements, like, lose everything you have, give your whole life savings to the movement, and, like, leave your family and hit the road for migrant rights, like, not a lot of people would say yes to that. Like, more people will say yes to sharing something on Facebook than will be able to say yes to that, right? Um, but I think there's also this piece where, like, we know when we are not being asked to do something that is really going to make an enormous difference. 
And for me, I think that's a point that I got to with this text about calling John Boehner is like, I was already dedicating the vast majority of my life force to winning that fight around immigration reform. And I saw all the people around me doing that. And we also really knew what we were up against. And it just felt really ingenuous to imagine that making that call was going to be the solution. And I am partially ashamed to say, but also just partially real, like, I didn't call John Boehner. Like, I stopped making those calls, even though I was dedicating all of my time to that struggle, because I just didn't believe in the asker that they had really figured out if it was going to matter. Um, and so for me, like this, uh, one of my great mentors and friends, Carlos Saavedra, who many of you heard in episode 15 about decolonization and the long view of history, Carlos really agitated me around asking people to make big sacrifices and how maybe an incremental organizing perspective thinks about do this little thing, but, uh, but movement organizing, the potential of creating enough momentum for massive social change to happen is built on the foundation of people making huge and unlikely and unreasonable commitments, right? Like actually disrupting their lives. And so I feel like, uh, you know, Carlos came to me at that time, not long after the, the Boehner texts were happening, after we didn't get to pass uh, comprehensive immigration reform and invited me into this project called Movimiento Cosecha, which is now kicking ass across the country uh, with volunteer organizers all over the place that are dedicating their lives to organizing immigrant workers around uh, a strategy to demand dignity and respect for all immigrants in this country. And Carlos came to me and said, you know, will you devote volunteer time every week? Will you uh, fly to retreats across the country to do strategy training and raise money for the group to pay for other people's travel and pay for your own travel? This is not sponsored by any organization. Uh, this is not funded. Will you make this sacrifice? Will you make a huge commitment to this project? And in that moment, it was so clear to me that that was such a deep yes. Um, and it felt so silly that like being asked to make a phone call, uh, was not doable for me, but like disheveling my whole life, uh, was, <laughs> and I think it has to do with respect and potential and actually asking from people, uh, something that matches the proportion of what is needed. And so, you know, this, this project, this podcast, I'm in no way drawing a parallel that this project is uh, analogous to the immigrant rights struggle. Um, but I think what feels related is the greater mission of this work, not the iteration of this particular podcast being important, but the the commitment to centering healing in our movement work and scaling up the infrastructure and support and 
to make that possible for people on the ground, to create the culture shift in our conversations about movements, to open up the space for this work to be a real part of our work. Um, that part feels big. And I think if you've been listening with us, you know, it feels very clear that we have a long way to go uh, as a society, as individuals, as people doing this work. Um, in our activist culture, certainly. And so the ask that we want to make around really listening to you and seeing how you want to be part of shaping this project um, is very much coming from that place. So here's the goofy part, right? Like we made this Google survey. Um, you can find it in the link in the show notes. You can find it in a link from our Instagram profile um, at Healing Justice on Instagram, or you can find it by going to tinyurl.com/hjpsurvey. tinyurl.com/hjpsurvey. And this form is just the beginning, so it has kind of a couple things reflected there. It has some questions to help you out because at first we were like, let's just make a blank form and tell people, tell us how you want to be part of this. Tell us what you want to do to allow this project and more importantly, this work to grow and continue. And let's figure out what we can build together. And part of what we heard back is like, actually people would love a little more guidance. Like what is needed? What have, have y'all noticed? What has our team noticed? Um, would be really useful, right? Because sometimes folks are like, there's a couple different things I could do. Can you tell me what's needed? So we created this form. It has some specific questions that will prompt you around some of the visions that we have, some of the possible ideas for directions for the future. Um, but there's also a lot of blank space where I want to welcome your input, your investment into this community from the perspective like that story I was talking about before, the story of like what is the real sacrifice of what it's going to take to make this work continue. And most of you are probably giving your imagination and your life energy to something else right now that is your main focus. And that is amazing. I mean, if you can give you know, 10 bucks a month on the Patreon because you support this project, but your life fo force and your imagination is going somewhere else. Amen. That is awesome. Do that. Uh, but I know that some of you are feeling activated around like, oh, like I want to contribute here. I want to grow this. This is serving me. I see ways that it could serve more effectively. I have a creative idea. I'm super gifted at fundraising. Like I want to bring my reciprocity to this project in a deeper way than just being asked to be a donor, like being texted to ask to call your representative, right? And so we really welcome your full potential into this survey. The reason why we're doing it in a survey format is so that as a team, we can get together and review what comes in. And so this will not be all filtered just through me. That is a huge commitment that we have as this project is transitioning towards its phase two, its season two, um, is that there's been a whole team that has held this project over the past 10 months. Um, that will continue to happen and that team will become increasingly formalized and increasingly public. And so part of what it allows us to do when we collect uh, 
your feedback and your input in this survey format is that we can actually share it with a whole team and process it together, which allows your ideas and your words to be held in a more thorough way. Um, and so we invite your imagination there. Every question on the survey is optional. And so you're welcome to look at it and say, I just want to say one thing about one thing and just fill that out and submit it. Um, and don't be surprised also that we're going to ask some questions about, you know, how you identify in this work, how you identify in this world, uh, how much you've been with us, how much you've been listening. And that's just going to help us correlate some of the feedback. It's very important to us to notice if there are patterns that certain folks are experiencing this work in certain ways, right? Both for benefit and, and uh, to check for places of harm or oversight. So don't be surprised when you get to that piece. That's why we're collecting that information is so we can look for patterns really honestly uh, because we expect actually um, that there are aspects of this project that are both uh, thriving and insufficient in ways that correlate with systems of oppression. So we're looking for that. So y'all, that was some long-winded kind of asking for you to fill out a survey. <laughs> But it's bigger than just a survey. It's really an invitation for your vision and your labor and your creativity to help shape what we become and to help shape who the we is as we move toward the vision of a season two. Again, that link is tinyurl.com slash HJP survey. And we super welcome your thoughts. Um, we'll be collecting them over about the next month or so. So we'd love to get these back during the month of August or early September, if at all possible. And then the survey will close so we can take a look together. And what you share in terms of feedback and what you offer in terms of uh, desired participation and coming and joining the crew that is building uh, will absolutely shape the future of this project. This has been part one of our season one reflection on Healing Justice podcast. Thank you so much to Jacoby Ballard for joining us. And we hope you'll tune in to parts two and three, where we get to hear from Marsha Lee, Justin Campbell, and our producer, Zach Meyer. You'll also get to hear the voices of every amazing individual who has contributed to the podcast so far and experience a final practice led by Fatima Paulino in listening to Adrian Marie Brown's beautiful radical gratitude spell. So watch for those next portions of our season closing reflection. Thank you for being with us in this work of reflection, which is very much a real part of our work in building liberation movements. Hear you soon.